General Services Administration reached a critical milestone last week. It chose a name for its new services multiple award contract. In his weekly reporter's notebook, executive editor Jason Miller writes about why the new name, Oasis Plus, takes all the fun out of government contracting. Jason joins me now. And Jason, I guess if there ever was fun in government contracting, how does this take the fun out of it. Well, Tom, what GSA has been doing over the last year, year and a half has given us different names, right? First, they started with Big Mac, best in class multiple work contract. And oh, the fun we had with Big Mac, right? It was, was it a pen? Was it a hamburger, right? We, we, we played off that. Then they went to Services Mac, Services Multiple Work Contract. And that had its own set of possibilities, right? I mean, you, you, again, you had the Mac part that kind of going all different directions. But just last week, uh, Tiffany Hickson, who runs not just Oasis, but runs a lot of the professional and health and services parts of GSA released a blog post that said we've decided on a name and and the alarm bells went off and and the celebration began and it was Oasis Plus. Now, Tom, I'm going to start it now and say it could be Oasis Plus, the plus sign, or is it Oasis Plus, P-L-U-S? So that's the other debate that now we're having. Well, it is late in the game here, so it's almost midnight at the Oasis, so they had to do something. You have to do something Sorry. exactly. It's, you can't can't resist, Tom. But I think the issue here is is and, and I'm being obviously kidding when I say they took all the fun out of government contracting. But the name's important, and the name's important for several reasons. And I'll start with this: the basic one. GSA has spent a ton of time over the last five, six years, seven years, really branding Oasis. Remember, Tom, they awarded this back in twenty. They started the process in 2013, made the award in 2015, and since 2015, so we're talking about almost seven years since the award. Agencies have spent more than $48 billion on Oasis, Oasis Small Business, and Oasis 8A through 3,200 task orders. This has been a very popular contract, a very successful contract. The GSA has created branding around it. They've done uh, a lot of work with the Air Force, the Homeland Security Department, and Army to have them commit to putting hundreds of millions of dollars through Oasis in exchange for lower fees. So there's a lot of effort around Oasis, and a lot of people like Oasis. So as they were thinking about changing the name and moving in a different direction and rethinking the whole process, that got a lot of people worried. So I think the name, simple as it is, is just really an important step forward to say, hey, we recognize all the work we've done and all how good Oasis has been that we're going to continue it but make it better. Right. So it's not a new GWAC. It's just a continuation with some updates of the existing Oasis? I'll say it's a little bit of both. Uh, there's a lot of the same the, of the goodness of Oasis that, that we've seen for the last uh, five, six, seven years, but it's also new, and that's where the plus comes in. So I'll give you one example, Tom. HCATS. This is the Human uh, Resources uh, Training contract that GSA had uh, put together uh, along with OPM several years ago. It really has never gotten off the ground. It's been kind of, you know, a lot of people would call it maybe a a bust is maybe a strong word for it, but has not picked up the amount of attention that you think it would. They're also bringing in the building maintenance and operations contracts, another what they call BMO set of contracts. So they're bringing in these services to kind of into Oasis Plus. So they're creating even a bigger contract and consolidating current contracts as well. So I think that's one way. The other thing they're doing, and this is a big change from Oasis, is they're going to keep it continually open, meaning once they make those first set of awards, they're going to reopen it up so you can apply to get on at any time. So if you miss out in, in round one, hey, six months later, you can apply again. You can try to get in round two and so on and so forth. Oasis had, uh, they, they stopped the number of contractors who could come on and then they did on-ramps and the on-ramps were mired in protests and challenges and, and became a lot more difficult. 
And then the other piece of this, Tom, that related to that is the small business side. What GSA saw was a lot of small businesses were successful and grew out of the small business size standards, but couldn't get on the Oasis Unrestricted easily. So this is why those on-ramps, those fully open season on-ramps, always able to apply to get on is really important for sure. Oasis Plus. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Jason Miller. So when you talk about the continuing nature of the contracts on there and the consolidation into Oasis of several other types of contract vehicles. In many ways, GSA is mirroring here what it has done with the multiple award schedule program. And that's part of the concern of of how similar the multiple award schedule program is with Oasis or the new Oasis Plus, really. Uh, The Coalition for Government Procurement uh, put together a crosswalk and, and they said, you know, does Oasis Plus do this? Yes. Does the schedules do that? Yes. And it kind of went through and there's like eight or nine different categories where they were, you know, one for one. And, and there's a lot of concern in industry that Oasis Plus or when, when it was called Big Mac or when it was called Services Mac was going to be duplicative of the, the schedules contract. So I think that's what I'm watching. I think that's what a lot of people are watching over the next six or so months as GSA rolls out the draft RFP, other sections you know, uh, under Oasis Plus, and then f- the final RFP, which is expected in first quarter of 2023, uh, with awards made in second quarter of 2023. So it, it, the next six months is going to be, again, key, but getting the name right, <laughs> at least, is a good start. But given that schedule that you just mentioned for the draft and the RFP release, then they're pretty sure they're past the protest stage of all of this? Oh, no, not at all. I think in some ways they're kind of waiting for the protests to happen because as soon as they release the draft RFP, there could be a pre-award protest. As soon as they release the final RFP, they could they could uh, get see another protest. So I think they have they have a long hill to climb still. And I think what GSA is trying to do is make it not quite protest proof because nothing is, but at least figure out, okay, where have we gotten held up before with other contracts and how can we satisfy that? So one example of that, Tom, is price evaluation factor. They're not going to have it as a very strong or even important valuation factor at the main contract level. They're going to say, listen, we're going to use our authorities under 876 that Congress gave them to put we we'll only worry about price at the task order level. So at the main level, you're not going to be evaluated necessarily on price. Well, it won't be a major evaluation factor at the very least. And while we have you, GSA has also made some new awards under its 8A GWAC, Government-Wide Acquisition Contract. What do we know about that? Correct. Now, this is the third cohort of awards under the 8A Stars 3 contract. They made the first set of awards in June 2021. They made the second set of awards in February, and this is the third and final set. This brings the total number of awardees to almost 1,000 uh, companies in the 8A program, about 925 or so. Uh, they, they added 61 new ones just last week. And, and Tom, this has already done quite well. When you look at the numbers for 8A Stars, they've gotten a, a ton of attention since 2021. Remember, only talking about June, they've gotten over uh, 155 task orders have been released against it, and more than $180 million have been awarded under 8A Stars 3. So it's a great start uh, so far in the, in the short time, just about a year. And uh, on top of it, Tom, we know 8A Stars 2 was highly popular, that GSA had to increase the ceiling. So it looks like 8A Stars 3 is going down that same path as, as a very good government-wide acquisition contract for agencies to use. Federal News Network's Jason Miller, thanks for that update. Always a pleasure. And be sure to check out his latest reporter's notebook. It's now online at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, 
beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader? And what about them inspired you? You I often think about this because, you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has, you know, been at the highest levels and all. But, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old, and uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League play- baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had wadded tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually, I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might have had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, Uh, whether you know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment. And, and, and he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, you know, really it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was, I think, my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that, that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood. And I, and I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind, that, that what we say and do, admit, especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style? And, and how has that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared, you know, about making sure that that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so, I, you know, I think my, 
my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than than so much on the results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards, two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and, and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2 Social Security Administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. It's, that's That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the Social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office. And lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, from there, I went to the Department of Defense and I found this, this career field called labor and employee relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. I didn't go on to be a, a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership, because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, from hi historical to current uh, current times, I just, it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I, I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. <coughs> Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. Ricola. It's in our nature. Hey, hon, what you doing with your fun? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.